Doing well. What's up, Bobby? Did you part of your face off like I did? No, you didn't? Man, we've, man, we've eaten barbecue sandwiches. We've eaten pulled pork sandwiches. We've paraded. We've hung out. Uh, everybody doing well? Praise God. Hey, I hope you have noticed coming into town, uh, Kurt and I put up signs. When we bought the uh, Sixth and Gaines Church Christ for Power Kids, they had two signs that belonged to them that, we, uh, that became ours. And so we've, we've, uh, when you come in from Amarillo or you come in from Plainview, uh, if, when you come into town, you'll notice the two signs. They're not huge, but you'll notice them. And it's got our little man with our logo. And then it says, uh, Tulia Christian Fellowship and then tcf.church. And uh, so we had those up before picnic. So I, I know you'll see them if you haven't noticed them. So uh, I'm going to continue this morning on my series. Uh, I'm talking about truth that changed our life. And when I say our, I mean Vicky and I and our family. I received Christ as my Savior as a young boy. Uh, grew up, Vicky and I got married. We went to the First Assembly of God in Emerald, Texas one night. The youth pastor was preaching, and uh, Vicky received Christ as her Savior. And uh, we began this journey as young Christians. When we got married, uh, we got in trouble pretty quickly in our marriage. My father's only been passed away at that time two years. Uh, I don't know how to be married. I don't know anything about marriage. I don't know anything about life, and I'm hurting and uh, we got in trouble. Uh, our marriage kind of got in trouble and in jeopardy pretty quick. And uh, Jesus Christ rescued my life. Uh, Jesus Christ rescued us as a couple. And when she received Christ as her Savior, I had a hunger in me for God. I don't know why. Uh, I've always had it on the inside of me. And we began this journey. And so what I've been trying to do this summer is just talk to you about the things that we learned that really changed our lives, uh, that we grew into and, uh, and changed us. And, and I've said it before, I, I wouldn't be where I am today without Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be where I am without him as my Savior. And uh, he, he changed me. And I was looking for that. And when I found Christ, uh, our life has never been the same. Uh, I found out early on that the world has nothing to offer. The world never has had anything to offer. And uh, we found Christ, and it changed us. So the first thing that I talked about was righteousness. And I told you that God's not mad at you. And the reason he's not mad at you is because you're a good person. He's not mad at you because of what Jesus Christ has done. And uh, there was an exchange that happened at the cross. Arthur, would you come up here, please, again for me? And let's do that, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, We talked about the exchange uh, that happened at the cross. And uh, in the Old Testament, when a guy, when a man would sin, he would bring an animal like a goat or a lamb to the priest. And uh, he would lay his hands on that animal, and his sin was transferred to that animal. Then that animal was sacrificed, and then the guy could leave, and he was free from his sin. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb of the world who was sacrificed from the foundation of the world. And so what happened is, is when Jesus died on the cross, my sin my unrighteousness, my lawlessness, all the stuff I've done in my life, and not even just the stuff, me being lost and separated from God, was transferred to Jesus at the cross. You see, nails didn't hold Jesus on the cross. Love did. He could have hopped down anytime he wanted to. Love held him there. Love for you and I. Then, would you put your hands on me? Then Jesus' righteousness, right standing with God, was transferred to me. And that's the exchange that happened. 
all right? My sin was transferred to Jesus. His righteousness was transferred to me. Thank you, Arthur, very much. All right, if you understand that, when we begin to learn that and begin to understand that truth, it changed our life. It changed how I prayed. It changed how I approached God. It changed how I attended church when I found out God wasn't mad at me. I can tell you why most men stay away from church. They think God's mad at them. And so they do their best to stay away from me, just like when I would get in trouble and I would think my father was mad at me. Well, you were smart to stay away from him. I did my best. Men do the very same thing. So that changed us. The second thing we learned, and these are not in order of importance. They're not even in order of uh, a chronological order, was when we received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and uh, spoke in other tongues. I grew up a Baptist, didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I didn't know anything about it. We went to a meeting at a Holiday Inn by the invitation of my Pentecostal grandmother. I should have known better, right? And uh, when I got there, uh, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it changed our life. And I think the one thing that it did for us is it gave us the strength to live a daily walk with Christ. Not, not perfection, not, not making any mistakes, but it just strengthened me as a young Christian and it strengthens me today as an older Christian. Let me, let me encourage you in something. One of the mistakes we can make, and I've made it, we can all make it. When you move into that place as a believer that you think to yourself, God, I'm not gonna do something until I completely understand it. Okay, when you do that, here's what happens to you. What you're saying is, God, if I don't understand your mind, if I don't understand your purpose, I'm not going to do something. You're going to miss out on a lot of God. Because first off, you're not going to understand the mind of God. Because if you can, in my book, he's not God, okay? Right? The created cannot completely understand the creator. I believe that there's mystery in the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with mystery in the kingdom of God. And I'm not supposed to understand everything. The Bible says there's secret things that belong to God that I don't understand. When I got to that holiday end that night, I knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. I did not understand the Holy Spirit, but I received it. Because I was hungry and I wanted it. And it's changed our life. Then the next thing we talked about is we talked about the power of words. We talked about confession. And I don't mean the confession of sin. I mean that our words have power. And what we began to do was we began to discover the promises of God in the Bible. You see, I stopped reading the Bible like a history book, and it is a history book. I stopped reading the Bible like it's a book of rules, and I don't believe it is a book of rules. And I started reading it as a promise book. And I stopped reading it, and I started feeding on it. And here's what we found out. We found out that there were things in that book that we could have that belonged to us, and nobody told us about them. My grandma didn't know about them. My mama didn't know about them. But I began to read in there for myself, for myself, listen to me, Okay, stop having me read the Bible for you and start reading it for yourself, amen? Right, start reading it for yourself. And what we did was we began to say what God was saying about us. When I found a promise in the Bible, it didn't look like that promise was working in my life. It didn't look like it to my eyes or to my senses, but I decided to believe it was true, right? If God said it, then it's true. I don't care what it looks like in my life. And we begin to say the promises of God. Listen, I hear so many people talk about how I'm not doing good. No, we, we don't have enough. And, and, and they talk lack and they talk doubt and they talk fear. And, I, and I'm not saying I'm not guilty of doing that sometimes, but if you'll stop doing that, and you'll start saying, hey, we're blessed. And first off, we need an attitude of gratitude, amen? We need to be able to daily say, man, God, you've so blessed us. 
You've so taken care of us. I'm thankful for my family and my wife and my children and my children's mates. I'm thankful for my coming grandchildren. I'm thankful for my home and my vehicles. I'm thankful. I'm thankful Friday night when I'm sitting down on Main Street and Tulia down on the brick road listening to music. I'm thankful. Seriously. I'm thankful for a small town and for people who know that I know, and, and I'm thankful. So we begin to say what God said about us. The last thing was, last time I talked to you about the integrity of the Word of God. And the word integrity means whole. It means sound, okay? It's solid, like a fresh piece of lumber. You know, you get a, what is it, a two by 12, a solid piece of lumber. All right, the Word of God is solid, and you can build your life on it as a Christian. And I've said it, I've said it, and I know I've said it, but I'm going to say it again. Listen, folks, the, world's, the world doesn't have any answers, Okay, I know people who work in the psychology industry in Amarillo. I know people personally who work at the pavilion, and they do the best they can to help people, and they try to help people, and they do help people. But they'll be the first to tell you, we don't have any answers. We don't have any answers. Okay, God's Word has the answers to your life. And as a Christian, if you begin to say, hey, I wonder what the Bible says. Honey, what are we going to do about our money this week? wonder what the Bible says. Honey, what are we going to do about our kids? wonder what the Bible says. Honey, you think we ought to go to church? wonder what the Bible says. And you just begin to go to God's Word as a source. And listen, you can build your life on the promises of God. You, and Jesus said when you do that, you're building on the rock. Amen? So those are the things that changed our life. This morning, the thing I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about church. You see, when Vicki and I received Christ as our Savior, we decided to start going to church. Now, I grew up in a family that attended church some. Okay, we did go to church. I'm not saying we didn't go to church. My father received Christ as his Savior as a young man. My mom received Christ, and we did go to church. But we weren't, at, there would be times we wouldn't go to church. If we had other things to do, we didn't go to church. But I went to church enough to hear the gospel. I went to church enough, thank God, to find Jesus as my Savior. But when Vicki and I had this encounter with God, and we're young married, and we decide we're going to stay married, and we're going to submit our lives to Jesus Christ, we began to go to church. Before I decided to be a preacher, you know, it's, you know, well, Pastor, of course you go to church, you're the preacher. No, I went to church before I was a preacher. And we made the decision, we're going to make church a part of our life. And here's what happened. Okay, church changed us. It helped us grow it helped us mature, it strengthened us, it healed us, it restored us, it helped us. I mean, I can go on and on and on about being in church and what church did for us and how it strengthened us and it helped us and it restored us and it ministered to us and it's brought us to where we are today. I've said this before. I don't, I've never heard anybody say to me ever in my life, man, you know, gosh, we went to church too much. You know, I mean, we should have skipped church more often. I've never heard anybody say that. I've never heard anybody say, man, I wish we'd never surrendered our lives to Jesus. But I've heard people say about lots of other things that they regret. But never once have I heard anybody say that they didn't, they wish they hadn't found Christ. Let me read to you this morning out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, and listen to what this says. It says, the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Here's the first thing I want you to know about church. Okay, we are the church. We're the church, All right, not this building. Now, we've designated this building to worship God in. We built this building to have church, but Greg Birkenfeld would always say, this would make a great hay barn. Okay, we could knock this wall out and fill this thing up with hay and make a great hay barn, and it would. But we've designated it to worship God in, so that makes it a holy place. 
but we're the church. When you leave here, you're the church. Uh, I've, I've come into Canyon many times in the, out of Amarillo, and there used to be a billboard from a local church, and it said, be the church. Okay, I know, and I want you to know, we, we are the church. When you leave here, you're the church. When you go to work tomorrow, you're the church. When you're with friends and family this afternoon, you're the church. You and I are the hands and the feet of Jesus. Amen? And it doesn't matter where I work or where I go or what I do. I'm the church, and the church goes with me. But here's the second thing. We are the local New Testament church right here, Tui Christian Fellowship. Now, we're not the only local New Testament church in this town, but we are one of them. And we're impacting kids. We're impacting teenagers. We're impacting men. We're impacting women. We impact marriages. We're making a difference in this community, in our own lives, in our families' lives. We make a difference because we're the local New Testament church. Amen? So see, it's important that you understand, hey, I am part of the church, but I also attend a local New Testament church. Now, I want to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, New Living Translation. Hebrews 10, 23. Listen to what this says. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Stop right there. Listen to me. You can trust God. You can trust God to keep his promises. When I die, when my heart beats its last breath, or Jesus comes for me, I'm going to heaven. You know how I know? Because my Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I believe, and I have everlasting life on the inside of me. Listen, how do I know that's true? Because I believe the Bible is the true word of God. And it says right here, you can trust God. Listen to it one more time. God can be trusted to keep his promise. Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let me show you what I just read to you. The first thing it says is what are we supposed to be doing here? Well, we're supposed to be motivating one another. Right, you, you know the church is not the gathering of the perfect. It's the hospital for the sick. And we're supposed to show up in this place and help each other knock the dents out of your armor, sharpen your sword, love one another, pray for one another, so we leave here strengthened and encouraged and we get our needs met to go out and be the church. Amen? All right, what's the first thing it said? That we're supposed to motivate each other. The next thing it says is we're supposed to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. Acts of love and good works. Okay, Jesus said the world will know us what? By our love, right? Not by our Bible knowledge, and we need Bible knowledge. I taught last week that the Bible was given to us for our learning, but how they're going to recognize us is by our love. The second way they're going to recognize us is by our good works. What does that mean? That means we just go around doing things to help people and to love people. Zig Ziglar said, and I never forgot it, he was a motivational speaker, he's in heaven now, he said, if you will help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want. If you help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want. What is that? That's Luke six thirty eight. Give and it will be given unto you. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love and motivate each other to good works. The next thing it says is we're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to encourage one another. Listen, that can be as simple as a smile and a hug. Hey, I'm glad to see you, and I'm glad you're here. It can be coming up for prayer. It can be getting prayer in the coffee bar. It can be worshiping together. But we gather in this place, and what are we supposed to be doing? Encouraging each other. 
can I encourage you to encourage each other? And you do a good job of it. I'm not saying you don't, but that's why we're here. Then the last thing it says, and I love this, is especially now. Especially now. What about Washington, Pastor? I don't know. What about the Supreme Court, Pastor? I don't know. Right? What about the latest shooting on the news, Pastor? I don't know. What about the wildfires in California? I don't know. What about Greece and they're going to go bankrupt? What about them? I don't know. But you know what I do know? We're going to meet together, especially because all that stuff's going on. And what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to love each other, encourage each other, and be salt and light in our world. You see, that's what happened to Vicki and I when we went to church. Every time we got together, we would be encouraged in church. We'd get prayer. You know, when we go to my house after church for dinner, you know, occasionally I'll sit down to eat and I'll say, man, pastor preached good this morning. You know, I was thinking about killing myself this morning, but I got up instead, got dressed and went to church and the pastor preached the message and I'm encouraged and I'm going to make it another day. And the kids look at me like, dad, are you okay? You preached, right? Yeah, but it still encouraged me, amen? All right. We're supposed to motivate each other, have acts of love and good works, encourage one another, especially now because things aren't going that great, and knowing that Jesus is going to return. Here's the next thing I want you to know about church. We need each other. Listen to me. From across this room, I need you in my life. And I'm grateful for every single one of you. I mean, I can look at every single one of you in this room this morning, and I can think of ways that you've encouraged me with your smiles, with your hugs, with your kind words. I can think of all the different times you've encouraged me. Listen, we need each other. We need each other in this place. When you come in this place, you're needed. Listen, you know what the biggest lie of the devil is to Christians? Oh, you don't need to go to church because it doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter if you're at church. They won't notice anyway. I've heard Christians say that. Oh, you know, they'll not be in church for a while. Well, you know, nobody called and nobody cares. All right, let me set the record straight right here, right now. Okay, I love you. I'm your pastor, and I love you, and I'm grateful that you're here, and I'm grateful for your influence in my life, and you make a difference in my life and in my family's life, and you make a difference in people's lives across this room. And don't you believe for one second the lie that it doesn't matter because it does matter. You're needed here. This last weekend was picnic, and I saw lots of young adults who've graduated, gone on to college, gotten married, had children. Many of them I saw went through ground zero. And when I see them, here's what I always say. We love you and we're proud of you. And people in Tulia love you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what you become a part of, in Tulia, Texas, we love you. And don't you believe the lie that you're not loved. Amen? All right, we need each other. Here's the next thing. We're cheated when you're not here. Let me explain what I mean. Every one of you are gifted. Okay, the Bible says so. The Bible says every one of you have been given gifts and talents, and the body needs those gifts and talents. Every single one of you matter. Every single one of you have gifts and abilities that God wants to use in us as a body of believers. Maybe it's not preaching on the platform. Maybe it's not playing the guitar. But every single person matters. See, that's the lie the devil says is, oh, you don't matter and you're not gifted. But you do matter and you are gifted. And when you're not here, you're missed. Let me tell you a story. I know a couple that have been Christians ever since I've known them. And this gentleman was a very gifted Bible teacher. 
I mean, very gifted. He could teach the Word of God. I always enjoyed listening to him. And he would teach Sunday school. And when he would teach, man, the class would be full and people would learn and people would grow. Well, this couple decided to quit going to church. Now, they weren't mad. They weren't upset about church. But they just decided that they wanted to quit going. And so they quit going. Okay, the church is cheated by their absence. People aren't taught. People don't grow from his gift, and they sit at home. Here's what happens. The devil wins, and God loses. And that gift is not used, and we all are the lesser because of it. Don't let the devil tell you that you don't matter and that you're not needed here because you do matter and you are needed. And there's people right here this morning who were hoping to see you when they got here. There were people right here this morning who needed a smile, who needed an encouraging word, who needed a hug, and who maybe weren't doing well and didn't know what they were going to do. And all jokes aside, leave this place encouraged. Every one of you have something to offer. And it changed our life. Here's the next thing. There's no such thing as a lone wolf in the body of Christ. What does that mean? Well, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. My son gave me the greatest example of that. Can I use it, Kurt? Is it okay? He gave me an example that so ministered to me. He said, that'd be like me telling Vicky, oh, I love you, baby, but I hate your body. Time to start packing, Amen. Would I be in trouble? Yeah, I'd be a little bit in trouble, wouldn't I? Honey, I love you so much, but your body, oh, Lord, it's bad, right? I mean, I just hate your body, right? But I love you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'd be dead. I'd be done. I'd be buried. Okay, so here's what you do. You tell Jesus, oh, Jesus, I love you so much, but I hate your body. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You know exactly as well as I do in nature, what does a wolf pack do? They call out a single animal so they can attack it and kill it and devour it, whether it's an elk or a deer or a sheep, whatever. Okay, listen, the devil wants to do the very same thing to you. You know what he wants to do? He wants to call you out of the body so you're on your own because then you're weaker and you are more vulnerable. There is no such thing as a lone wolf in the body of Christ. You know what happens in addiction, and if you've ever struggled with addiction, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you fall into addiction, the first thing you do is isolate yourself. You isolate yourself. Listen, when you feel the least like being in church is when you should go the most. You know what happens to people? People have hard times. People have things happen to them. And I'm not saying, you know, people don't miss church sometimes. But you should run to church to be with the body. You should find the flock. You should find your brothers and sisters. And you should go and you should stay there and you get encouraged and you get ministered to. Don't let the devil pull you out by yourself. Because I guarantee you, and I know you know it, you're weak and you're vulnerable. There's no lone wolves in the body of Christ. All right, the next thing. I believe that God wants us to set aside time each week to worship him. Now, I worship God at home. I worship God in devotional time. I can worship God in my car. I can put on worship in my truck. Man, I can drive down the road and I can worship God. But there's something about us gathering together 
whether it's a Saturday night or a Sunday. See, we have church two times on Sunday. We don't have church on Saturday night. Now, sometimes Vicki and I'll go down to Amarillo, and we go to Trinity on Saturday night, and I'm always ministered to there, and then we're here on Sunday. But I believe as Christians, we should gather in God's house on a regular basis. God said every seven days, every week, we gather in his house to do what? To humble ourselves, to pray, to worship his name, to hear his word, and that we gather together as Christian brothers and sisters and we do it. And we, and we make it a priority in our life. Vicki and I made it a priority when we were young. Now listen, people miss church, and I'm not trying to put a law thing on you, but we're in church more than we're not in church. And it's changed us, and it's healed us, and it's restored our lives. And I'm here because I'm grateful that God sent his only son to the cross to die for me, and I get to spend eternity with him, and I'm not going to find something else to do on Sunday. I'm coming into this place to worship God. Amen? I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Let me read you another verse. I'm going to go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 19. Listen to what this says. It says, I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I'm there among them. Two truths I want you to see in those two verses. There's nothing more powerful than the prayer of agreement. Vicki and I, as husband and wife, pray in agreement every day. All you have to do is get together with your mate or with somebody else. A great place to do it is in church on Sunday morning. Find a brother or sister, somebody in Christ that you love, and say, agree with me in prayer. Vicki and I do it every day. Lord, we agree in prayer over our children, over our children's mates. And we pray over each one of you that God's grace and life is on you. All right, there's power in agreement. It can happen in your home, and it can happen right here in church. If you have somebody to pray in agreement with, do it more often. If you don't, you find somebody. Then the second thing it says is what? It says when we gather together, God is here in the midst. Now, here's what I know. Every single one of you that know Jesus as your Savior have God living on the inside of you. Jesus dwells in your heart, and I take him with me everywhere I go. But when we gather together corporately, he's here and he manifests himself among us. It's the Bible word for it is anointing. What does anointing mean? Anointing means the presence of God. In the Old Testament, they would pour oil on people. Now, you, we anoint with oil. I got my little bottle right here, and we anoint you on the forehead with oil and pray over you, and I believe this represents the power of the Holy Spirit. This, this, it, it doesn't have any powers in and of itself. It represents the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, they would take a pitcher of oil and pour it on your head. And it would run down their face and down their neck and down their clothes. The only problem with that today is it kind of looks weird to Del Camino, right? When you get to where you're going to eat dinner and you got oil dripping off your nose and you're all stained, right? So we don't do it like they did it in the Old Testament, okay? But it means the presence of God. All right, here's what happens. And this is so powerful, and I don't want you to miss this. Every time you gather in church, God manifests himself. You feel it. I had somebody come up to me after the first service, and they said, I felt a warmth in my heart. That's God. Okay, if you cry, people cry. This morning there were people leaving and crying. What is that? Well, that's emotion, but it's also the presence of God. When you feel that gratefulness, when you feel that presence of God, here's what's happening. You are being changed. You are being healed, 
you are being restored. You're finding peace in your mind. You're finding hope in your life. Every time you gather in this place, you get a dose of it. Now, sometimes you come up for prayer. Sometimes you don't come up for prayer. And I'm grateful that we have a church where we can pray for one another and you can come up for prayer. But listen to me. You can stay right in your seat and God touch you and God minister to you. Every time you come in this place, God's presence touches you and it begins to change you and it begins to minister to you. Let me tell you a story. Uh, I know a couple that came to church. This is many years ago. They don't live here anymore. And this couple came to church, and when they came to visit the very first time, I introduced myself to them. And the lady, the wife, she had a very dark countenance. It's like there was a dark thundercloud overhead with little lightning bolts. You've seen people like that. You may have looked like that at one time in your life. There was no life in her eyes. She just, she looked dark. She, there was a heaviness on her. I call it countenance. Okay, that's what the Bible calls it. What's countenance? Countenance is when there's life in your eyes. Okay, or you don't have life in your eyes. Okay, I went to the awesome yesterday morning to get a bag of ice before the picnic, and the little girl that checked me out, her eyes just sparkled. And I said, oh, you have such a beautiful countenance today. It's so amazing how you look. And she said, oh, thank you so much. Now, I'm not talking about outward beauty. I'm talking about something on the inside of you from God that changes you. Well, this couple started coming to church, and I saw that lift off that woman. Now, it didn't lift off in one week, but they just begin to come to church, and her countenance begin to change. I'm involved at the Driscoll House, and we see it happen to the men at the Driscoll House all the time. Men come in there who are struggling with drugs and alcohol, and they have a terrible dark countenance, and there's a heaviness on them and a weight of addiction on them, and, and they're in church here on Sunday, and they go to other churches, and we're there, and we pray for them and minister to them, and their countenance begins to change. Now, sadly, this couple began to not come to church anymore. They quit. They quit coming. They moved. And they weren't bad people. They didn't do anything bad. Nothing bad happened to them here. But I saw her a long time later in a story. When I saw her, that countenance was back. That darkness, that heaviness was on her. Whatever had gotten off of her at church, she got away from God. She got out of doing the, involved in God, and it, and it began to come back. Now, here's what Jesus said that's kind of frightening. He said, you get the devil off of you, and you don't do anything to fill it with God, and then it comes back seven times worse. You become seven times the son of the devil. All right, now, I'm not trying to frighten you, and I'm not trying to say anything to you. Well, if I miss church, the devil's going to get me. That's not what I mean. You don't, don't, that's not my heart. My heart is, is you come in this place and you'll get free. And then when you get free, you keep coming in this place and you get filled up with the goodness and the grace of God and your life is different. My life is different because of church. Not because I'm good looking, and I am. I mean, come on, right? I'm a legend in my own mind, I know. You know, what, you know why I know I'm good looking? I don't look in the mirror. <laughs> that's how I know. You know, I'll say something to my wife. She's like, honey, look in the mirror, my Lord. Right, listen, every good thing that's happened in my life isn't because I'm smart or I'm educated or I'm the right color. It's because of Jesus. And I come in this place with you guys, and church changed our life. It has strengthened our marriage. We're going to be married coming up not very long, being married for 40 years. It's because of Jesus and because of the grace of God we found in church. And we just keep coming, and we just keep growing, and we keep changing, and we keep getting better. And it's because of the grace of God. And then we take it with us just like you do. Now, let me tell you one practical thing about church, and then we'll close. You know, people always think about, well, how often should I be in church? And if you're not careful, you can make it legalistic. And that's not God's heart, okay? Everybody misses church. 
And there's nothing wrong with missing church. But here's a simple way to gauge it. Is be in church more than you're not in church. It's just that simple. God, I want to be at your table more than I'm not at your table. Does that make sense? See, God puts out a spread, and he invites you to come have dinner. And you say, Lord, I want to be at dinner more than I'm not at dinner. Okay? Now, I was thinking this morning, if everybody missed church once a month, if we decided, hey, once a month we're going to miss church, well, of course, that'd be 12 Sundays in a year. That'd be three months. And to me, that's a lot. But you would still have been in church for nine months. Is that right? Is my math right? You'd miss three months, and you'd be in church nine months. You'd be in church more often than you weren't. Now, don't leave and say, oh, pastor said we can miss once a week, once a month, man. Glory to God. Write that down. No, no, no. I saved that for last night. That's all you'll know, right? No, I don't mean that. But what I'm saying is, is God, we want to be in your house more than we're not in your house. And God, we're going to make you a priority, right? And it doesn't mean we don't go to ball games. It doesn't mean we don't do things. But we're going to make you a priority because, God, we want what you have on us. And see, church changed our life. We started going to church. And the more we went, the more we grew, the more we had peace in our minds, the more hope we had, the more healing we had, the better we felt, the better our marriage became, uh, the better we became as parents, the better our kids did. I mean, it just got better because God's grace was on us. And so I want to encourage you, the thing that changed our life, one of the things that changed our life was being in church. And just like Kurt said this morning, when you show up, you show up, God, I want something. God, I'm hungry, right? Like the buffet, you will never eat more in your life than when you go to first cafeteria. I ate two meats and two pies. And I never do that anywhere but at first, right? (laughs) I just can't help it, right? I got to have two meats and two pies. I mean, I ate enough food for three people. So we don't go to furs very often, Okay. Right? Amen. Y'all stand up and let's pray. Praise God. Father, I love you. I'm so thankful for the church. I'm thankful that we are the church. As, a, as individuals, we're the church, but we're also a local church. Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here every time we meet. You promised you would be and you are. That we don't have to make anything happen. We don't have to drum anything up. You're here to meet our needs and that we're being changed because we're in the light of your love. Lord, I pray for each one of us this morning. Lord, just what I talked about that's that's on my heart, Father, that we would motivate each other to acts of love and good works, that we would encourage one another, and we would meet together more often, especially as the way things are now. Father, encourage us today that we leave this place encouraged. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said. Hey, I love you. You got